On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll discuss this nonstop NBA offseason and all that has gone on with the Pacers over the last month. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, first up, just an apology for the lack of pods over the last few weeks. Quite honestly, there's just been so much going on, both on Zoom, phone calls, Summer League in Vegas, free agency. There was obviously the draft. Talked to, what, 45 prospects over nine days is what the Pacers brought in. And I have way more than I can even have time to write at the moment. I got a full laundry list of stories ready to go that I want to get started on here. But anyways, I've had to keep my focus on my Fieldhouse Files newsletter. That's my money generator. That's how I live. And so hope you respect that. But I do recognize where I've kind of left you guys, my listeners out in the dark here during this key stretch. So hope you can uh, accept that. And uh, I do want to let you know that I do appreciate your support. Your support means a lot. And keep in mind, with my Fieldhouse Files substack, you don't have to pay. I do put out at least one, usually a couple, free stories each week. But I do hope you consider paying because there's many more stories behind the paywall, more enlightening stories uh, that I think are worth it. And honestly, it's basically, what, one latte a month. Regardless, thank you for listening to this Fieldhouse Files podcast. So today's episode, it's just me with a ton of thoughts on what has transpired over this last month. Some I have shared, some I have not. There's probably some that you miss because I get it. It's, it's summer. You may have kids and other responsibilities. How about a vacation? It sounds nice. And uh, for most over the next three weeks in the NBA, it's hopefully quiet and get on a vacation or get away or not staring at our phones for eight, 10 plus hours on end, right? That's the reality of at least the first few weeks in August for this year. Um, so hopefully all of us can kind of settle in, wind down, enjoy some summer. I live right by the Victory Field. Indy Indians haven't been over there once for a game. That's on my to-do list. Started getting back to going to concerts, which is awesome. Was not at nearly engaged in the Summer Olympics as I usually am, and that was simply just because of the timing. That came right when you know the draft, then free agency, then NBA Summer League, which occupied all of my time at least. And I know ratings were way down, but... For me, I totally get it because usually I'd be there watching every single women's basketball, men's basketball, volleyball, track, swimming. I don't think I watched one track meet at all. And that saddens me, but that's the current reality. And so now moving forward, although this is a shortened off season because of all of it, we can get back on that regular schedule, which essentially runs from late September through what, mid-June and for the Pacers here recently, it's been kind of the end of April or so. So anyway, on today's podcast, I have a list in front of me, a lot of key items, probably 20 plus of things I want to talk about, get in depth about. Again, a lot of this I've probably talked on other pods, uh, on my weekly radio hit, on the Fan Morning Show, and many others. Uh, But let's just get to it, and I'm just going to let it rip right now. To start out, it was the Bucks winning the title, and that was really cool. I enjoyed watching that series. There were so many disappointed that it was Bucks, Suns. Get out of here. I'm a huge proponent of watching LeBron and Steph duel every NBA Finals. I never get tired of that storyline and two of the best to ever go at it. But I also enjoyed some fresh blood being out there and the fact that what Giannis was able to get accomplished and help prove. Because um, the whispers I had heard you know, six months ago was, yeah, he re-signed with Milwaukee, but give it two years then he's out. And I'm like, come on, I'd love to see a guy like him stay. And this almost speaks to a greater conversation here. And that's these small markets. And I'll get into this in a podcast coming up at the end of the week more with Sam Amick, a national NBA writer. But teams like the Pacers and the Pistons and the Orlando Magic and Charlotte Hornets, what's the pathway to success? And I don't just mean reaching the playoffs. That's that's expected here in Indiana, for example. I'm talking about contending for a championship and as the Pacers roster is currently compiled they're not a contending group they're at least one significant move away but to see the Bucks do it that's not a script by any means either that they can follow other than can lightning strike you get a little bit lucky as the Bucks admittedly were with Giannis on Dedekumpo and to see him develop 
and own up to, to being in Milwaukee, playing there, re-signing. That was really cool. And then just the manner in which those two teams went back and forth and wanted. I enjoyed that from a local aspect. Enjoyed the hell out of seeing Drew Holiday win a title, which means he can take that home to Lauren Chaney, who I, that's how I know her, Ben Davis soccer player. Uh, but much more than that, has two Olympic gold medals and another, I think, World Cup gold medal. Well, Drew's adding to the family's decorations there, and it was fun. I think it was over a year and a half ago, right before the regular bubble down in Orlando, got to talk with him and Lauren about their efforts to donate the rest of his salary for that year and how it's really influenced so many of the communities that matter to them, and that's Indianapolis because of Lauren. And also Justin and Aaron had played here. Uh, That was California. That was New Orleans where he had previously played. And so I think that's cool, Uh, not only how he was able to impact the communities, they were able to impact the communities, but a good guy being acquired by the Bucks. he was, there's no doubt that trade was worth it now, right? No matter what they paid, he put them over the top because without them, they weren't winning. The influence he was able to have, and then we saw that with Team USA as well. He was the second best player out on the floor in addition, uh, you know, to Kevin Durant with the Olympics, but it was really special to see the entire Holiday family uh, be at those games. Aaron and Justin in the locker room and on the court celebrating with Drew and, and that whole thing wearing his jerseys. That's awesome. Those brothers is, are as, as close as I uh, can remember with guys like that in the family. The uh, Undetacumbo brothers seem to be right there with them. How about them having a year of titles too, by the way? Yeah, the one brother, get one with the Lakers, Giannis, and another brother, uh, Thanasis. It was Kostas with the Lakers, right? Thanasis and Giannis with the Bucks, And then Alex, the youngest brother uh, on the Sacramento Kings Summer League team. And that, that one doesn't nearly mean as much, but still, keep on winning. And, and good for them. Um, what else? Malcolm Brogdon spent a couple of weeks in Africa working on his personal mission, his foundation, building wells there. And so he was in Tanzania couple other countries and he continues to share uh, some of what he does on his Instagram which I encourage you to check out but it's fun to somewhat try to keep up with these players in the offseason some completely own that time and do with it how they want like Sabonis he hadn't really been in the states he tried to help Lithuania qualify for the Olympics unfortunately uh, they did not and then just recently got married so congrats to him and his entire family that went down in the south of France Bill Baino was there Pacer staffer or two at least were there that I know of that looked to be awesome but uh, Malcolm has done some personal things he's had a couple vacations as well and then there's other guys uh, here locally who have mostly stayed here Edmund Sumner, Keelan Martin, although we'll get into him later on, and several other guys who have just devoted their time in this offseason to being here and by the team facility. In normal years, I think I would praise that a ton, but given what so many of these guys went through and having to be away from their families, even if they lived in their same city, but you know they couldn't go out to dinner necessarily with them, that was a lot to ask of them. So uh, this summer, I'm all for any team staffer, player, coach, go and spend the time how you want. But especially for the young guys, I highly encourage them to spend off seasons most years around the team facility because, I mean, there's been so many cases, especially here locally, among the teams I've covered of guys that have just gotten better, gotten more confident, and taken their game to another level when they've done so. And the two that really stick out to me are Lance Stevenson and C.J. Miles. Um, Talking about uh, big off-seasons individually, Edmund Sumner got engaged. Congrats to him. And then professionally, no-brainer here, but the Pacers picked up the option on his contract for this upcoming season. It's a, a relative bargain, uh, I think $2.5 million after what he was able to contribute and, and do for this team and stay healthy and finally take off a little bit. You do wonder just exactly how Rick Carlisle envisions him with this current group. NBA switching basketballs for the first time in 45 years. It has been that Spalding basketball. Remember, like 10 years ago, they tried to make a switch to a different type, a brand new Spalding basketball. I was a ball boy for the team at the time, and that was an utter disaster. The only regret I have was not taking one of those new balls home so I could have it now as kind of a memory and also to compare. I want to get my hands on one of the new Wilson basketballs, but from some trainers and some other players that I've talked to, basically feels the same 
It's almost a duplicate of that Spalding basketball. They were able to incorporate basically all the same things. It's just made by a different company and a new partnership. And now Wilson's the official ball of all those leagues, talking about NBA, WNBA, and the G League. Um, we first saw it, I think, in the WNBA and then followed by at the Draft Combine in Chicago. One former Pacer update. I thought it was interesting what Victor Oladipo has done this offseason. I bring him up because still a lot of fans like him, especially Indiana basketball fans, from what he did there. I know many Pacer fans soured on him for the way in which he carried himself and, and kind of treated the Pacers for the last couple of years. Well, it seems like he's starting to get his act in order. We'll see. But he's been relatively quiet and off the grid which is very unlike him. He also did something he needed to do. He changed agents. He fired his manager, has hired Excel Sports Management, and that has led him to a minimum deal with the Miami Heat. So he's able to stay in Miami for at least this upcoming season. And what does this season look like for him? Not exactly sure. I think it's been really interesting to see his new doctor, his second doctor, who had to perform Another surgery on him uh, to repair that right quad tendon that, according to that second doctor, uh, was loose, wasn't even connected. I thought that was really interesting for him to come out on the record. Now, there is some motivation behind that, and the underlying theme there is he was going to be a free agent, and he's looking for he was looking for a max deal. That's why he had not signed anything. And to repeat myself from probably about a year ago at this time, he made a poor decision and not taking an extension with the Pacers or not taking out injury loss insurance prevention because coming off a rare injury like he had, rare for anyone under 40 and, and athletes, that those who had had it, their career ended right away or soon after, like Charles Barkley, like Tony Parker. It was this huge gamble. It felt like he went to Vegas and put all his chips on one color rather than hedging it, to use a summer league reference, right? Who knows what he'll look like? I mean, doctors I've talked to think the end is closer much more than him getting, say, a multi-year deal coming up. That should he stick around, that it, you know, it'd be more on a minimum-type level deals because that injury is troubling, especially for a guy about 30. And the level and intensity and speed at which he plays, I hope that's not the case. But he'll probably return midseason this year. It remains to be seen, all a matter of, as he would say, how his knee feels and how it responds. But I wish him luck. I like how he's gotten some things in order, and hopefully uh, we'll see some change. Let's talk some coaching changes, both Pacers and otherwise. Former Mad Ants head coach Steve Ganzi, who inexplicably was let go and not given a contract extension with the Mad Ants, sat out this year, was looking to join an NBA bench. This year, he'll take over... The G League team of the Atlanta Hawks teaming up with Nate McMillan being his G League coach. It's the College Park Skyhawks, so that's really cool. I also thought it was special to see Jamel McMillan get back. He sat out the year, had his first child, and with COVID and all of that, that makes it tough. Well, him now being in Atlanta, his family being there, it means Pops can be with his grandkid. It means father and son can work together for the first time. It's something they didn't give a ton of thought to. Some, but not a ton of thought uh, when Nate came here and was promoted to head coach by the Pacers the first time around. Uh, Jamel was in Phoenix and then New Orleans uh, and then sat year out. Uh, Popeye Jones moving from Philadelphia behind the bench to Denver on the front of the bench. And the story I heard about that, uh, I, I did see Popeye very briefly in Las Vegas. He owned a table, uh, not a gambling table, a, a lounge table, let's say, uh, for several hours. And that's the, the thing you do. You constantly run into people and catch up with people. And, and that was so good to see. Didn't get a lot of time to talk with him. Um, but from someone else, here's what I, this is how it went down uh, with Denver. Happened in a matter of a couple days. Um, and where he really got his itch to perhaps change jobs was when Dan Burke came back here to Indianapolis to be at the funeral for Slick Leonard. And during that one game I think DB missed, Popeye was moved from the back of the bench to the front of the bench and then said, never again. You feel so out of touch and not involved uh, behind the bench in kind of a secondary role, assisting, um, rather than being a, a top assistant. And so... All of a sudden, a position became available. Michael Malone 
in Denver hired him, and, and it's a really intriguing position. It sends him back to the front of the bench. He's working with a playoff contending type team right there with the MVP and Nikola Jokic. Uh, I'm really happy for him, and he's in a city that has hockey, and why that's important uh, being there in Denver is his two sons now play for the same team in Chicago. And if I recall right, I'd have to look it up. I think their first game of the season is in Denver. Spoke with Lloyd Pierce from Tokyo over Zoom uh, one day during the Olympics. Kind of shared his perspective on all things going on. He is or was one of the lead assistants with Team USA. They don't get medals, only players. um, But he had a, a big impact on that team. Was kind of the defensive coordinator. So many times during games, you'd see him stand up, pull down his mask to shout out defensive assignments and things like that. And so that was a great experience for him. Ironic because, remember, he replaced McMillan after the Pacers had to a trip in India and he didn't feel like with the World Cup team that he could give it his all. So Lloyd Pierce replaced him. And then McMillan later, a couple of years later, joined his staff in Atlanta. And then it was McMillan this offseason promoted to full-time head coach, and then Pierce coming to Indiana, where, of course, Nate used to be. I love the staff that Rick Carlisle hired. Drastically different, improved, and much more experienced than the previous staff. And to talk about that previous staff, first of all, none of them have been hired. Now, I believe they all get paid out one more year. But still, the fact that none of them, have another job, and I'm talking about your front row assistants, that's telling to me. I mean, Caleb Canales, Greg Foster, uh, I guess I should point out Bill Baino was part of that group, but that's because he's KP's guy, uh, was a holdover, uh, but he didn't last more than a month and a half with Nate Bjorkren, and now he's rejoining uh, Dwayne Casey and is on the Pistons staff, by the way. Good to see him out in Summer League as well. That's why Summer League's the best, to just see anybody and everybody, especially Coaches, players, especially staff members of other teams that you see for what feels like 10 minutes when they come through Indy once or maybe twice per year. In terms of the Pacers, I think this is how it's going to look. You'll see Lloyd Pierce handle kind of the assistant head coaching duties, assist Rick Carlisle however he can, uh, maybe nothing in particular or specific. Then Ronald Nord, as I'm sure you all know or are familiar with from his Dazed with Butler, kind of be that defensive coordinator. Mike Weiner, who coached the summer Pacers, offensive coordinator. And then Jenny Busick will help with the offense. She'll also help handle and study end-of-game situations, what other teams do, what plays they can best run, for example. And she won't be at every game, by the way, not every road game. The longer trips probably won't make, or maybe she'll return after a couple of games, and that's because she's raising a kid on her own. Um, something she's always wanted to do. And so I think that kid's probably two or three uh, at this point. But that that's one great flexibility and that Rick Carlisle is fully supported of. I had her on his staff in Dallas, brought her here. And that's also in part why, because she's not there every game, that's why she'll be uh, behind the bench, three assistants up front. As I first reported, the team also hired Gennaro Pargo uh, as an assistant coach from player development. It's been fun to see him. He's been playing, what, in the big three? can work uh, individually or with as a group, still very active, could be a, a practice guy if they're short because of health. Hopefully, we do not have those same kind of health issues because it felt like I was less so a Pacers beat reporter and more so getting a degree in medical last year, right? You'll have to learn about the clavicle and the and turf toe and so many different injuries, strain and sprain and those sorts of things that some of which I'm already very familiar with, but I'm over that. Let's talk more basketball, right? That's what we all want to discuss. As I reported like a month ago, as the team was just getting started with pre-draft workouts, Calvert Chaney, Tyler Marsh, Maurice Baker, they were all staying as his video coordinator, Dylan DeBusk. And then during Summer League reported how the Pacers have hired Scott Simpson as the advanced scout. He replaces Gary Schmidt, who was only with the Pacers for one year. Before that, it was Jimmy Powell for the past 20-plus years. Uh, But he is out. Scott Simpson is in. He was with the Mad Ants the last couple of years as an assistant coach, but he has previous experience as an advanced scout. This will be his fourth different team to do that with. And I was talking with a couple advanced scouts out in Vegas, and they were like, yeah, he's one of the best. You guys got a good one. Well-regarded, no surprise uh, with this hire. And, And I think one of the credentials that jumped out at me was 
he held that role for USA Basketball, where they could probably get just about any advanced scout in the league or any coach, etc., in the league. So he held those duties for several years, and now he's back to being the advanced scout, this time for the Pacers. One new hire is Zach Chu. Uh, also came with Rick Carlisle from Dallas. He will help Hannage game strategy and analytics. Pacers already had three staff members in analytics. One left this offseason, Nick Fledger. He left to return home to New York, will work for the Knicks, won't physically live in New York, but get to work for his hometown team uh, after several years here with the Pacers, uh, and they have replaced his position. One story I wrote over at FieldhouseFiles.com and reported on, I think was three weeks, maybe four weeks ago, was big, at least in my opinion, in that the players, uh, Pacer players, more than a dozen, almost the entire team, had gathered together on their own in Los Angeles for a players-only workout. Not quite a week. It was about three days, I was told. Organized by Malcolm Brogdon. And uh, neither TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott were there because they were free agents. Weren't sure exactly if they'd be back. But TJ had a pretty good inclination that he would be. I thought that was telling. It's something they had wanted to do last couple of years. Uh, COVID got in the way last summer. Um, obviously, they played through into August with the bubble. And then a couple of years ago, they were able to get down to Miami. That was organized by Victor Oladipo. I liked it. I loved to hear that they were able to get together and spend time together, both on the court and also away, away from it, at dinners, some lunches. I thought that was productive and uh, a necessary step for this team to kind of come together after they could go out and get away from each other for a couple months after being, it sounds bad, but stuck only together for the entirety of this last season. Then I think that leads us to about where the draft was. And the Pacers, as I said, had nine workouts, 45 players in all. They entered the draft night with multiple picks. They had their first-round pick at 13, the first time they had been in the lottery since Miles Turner in 2015. And then two into the second-round picks. And they made several moves, ultimately sending those two second-round picks away, uh, plus what they had picked up for those picks, meaning the 31st pick, along with Aaron Holiday, to acquire the 22nd pick, which they then used on Isaiah Jackson. But before that, it was Chris Duarte, and that did not surprise me at all. Pacers really liked what they saw from him during his workout. Chris enjoyed it. He knew he was going in the lottery. I wrote about this after his first summer league game, which was ironically against the New York Knicks, who were among the teams trying to trade up for him. They were trying to send both of their picks which were kind of in that 17 to 20 range to move up to 13. Pacers were not relenting. I was told, that, you know, trade conversations that were reported, I can't remember by whom, with the Hawks, you know, to maybe give up that pick at 13 for what was it, Cam Reddish. Not true at all. And Pacers were holding firm at that 13 spot. They really wanted a difference maker, a ready made player. And now I feel better uh, about what I wrote, for example, the night before. The draft, where I go, the biggest decision the Pacers have in, in the direction they go will have to be a debate between a ready-made player and a project. Which side of it are you on? Are you willing to spend a couple of years on a 19, 20-year-old, or do you go with a guy that is a little bit more ready-made? And the Pacers really did have that decision when it comes down to it. 13. Chris Duarte was from Morgan, ready to go, a shooter, and exactly what the Pacers needed. A guy like Moses Moody, who was also available, needs a little bit more work, a little bit more raw, a little bit more athleticism, great wingspan, uh, but I'm not sure how he would help the team immediately. And ultimately, it was Duarte. And, and then leading up to it, you had the Knicks, the Warriors, trying to trade up to get to him. He knew he was going in the lottery. He knew, at worst, it was going to be to the Warriors at 14, probably to the Pacers at 13, if not before then. So it was a rather comfortable draft night for him and his significant other, and it was really cool to see his son, Christopher Jr., and they got a baby girl on the way, so that's really special for him being a 24-year-old. And that was the other part of that debate is, are you good with drafting someone that's 23, 24 like him or Corey Kispert, those ready-made players versus uh, the younger talent? I like the move. Uh, I was all for it. We obviously have the hindsight of seeing what Chris was able to do in Summer League. But again, I caution all thoughts about Summer League 
with the understanding that it is summer league, that it is against players that have to prove something or that are out of the league that don't have NBA jobs. The game speeds up. The players are much more talented, etc. once you get into the NBA season. Isaiah Jackson, on the other hand, looks like he'll probably need a couple more years, and that's fine with him. That's fine with the Pacers. I appreciated Isaiah's candidness the couple times I've talked to him after the draft and then at Summer League, how he's like, look, yeah, I am wrong. I do have a lot to prove here. There's still a long ways to go. Um, he tried to play football uh, growing up. He was more of a basketball guy, and you'll learn all, all about him in an upcoming feature on FieldhouseFiles.com. And he obviously wasn't sure when he would play for the first time in summer league. That's a whole different story, and it will be part of that story, I guess. Uh, was unable to practice with the Pacers during their you know rookie free agent camp for a week before going to Vegas, all because he was part of that five-team trade that happened on draft night and there's so many things that have to be checked off before players can be officially signed and then introduced and then before they can get on the court. And the last straw with Isaiah was for someone else in the trade to not only pass a physical but then be cleared by the league. Chad Buchanan got the go-ahead, a text from the league and the the other team. It was the end of the first quarter of the team's first game. And so that's when Isaiah got the thumbs up from Chad and then Mike Weiner, the summer Pacers head coach, said, all right, Get in there. He didn't know the plays, or at least hadn't physically run through them because he was unable to. Uh, Just looked okay in the first game, but then really took off after that. And as he kind of eased into things, got a practice with the team by the end of it in the final game at Summer League, I think it's something we'll always remember about Isaiah, who's a 6'10 forward, athletic, can run the length of the floor very well, pick and roll very well. Can catch lobs at the basket, something the Pacers don't have with Miles Turner and Sabonis. And he can split time between the Mad Ants and the Pacers this season, probably fill as that emergency role like Jakar Sampson had in the past. He's just 19, just now taking off. And so he'll be a fun guy to track and watch here. So then after the draft, we had free agency. And it was fully expected that TJ McConnell would re-sign. Four years, though, and $35 million, including bonuses, a little higher than I thought. He had spent the last month before free agency back home in Pittsburgh working six days a week at a high school gym with his father, who's a girls' basketball coach, Hall of Fame-type coach there in Pittsburgh. He comes from a, a coaching family, and eventually TJ's going to be a head coach. I can promise you that, but not yet. Right now he's a basketball player with a great hobby and a love for wine on the side. If you haven't read that story of mine, I wrote it a month ago on Fieldhouse Files as well. It's one of, one of my favorite stories to write. I've also uh, paid more attention and gotten into wine more. So it's a little bit personal as well for me because of that. And uh, the insights he shared with me. And right now he's out in Oregon with his close friend, Alex Fern, going through wine. Good for him, able to get that type of salary. Um, unfortunately, his buddy, best friend, Doug McDermott, not returning. He got $42 million over three years from the Spurs. I think he'll love that not only because of the dollar figure, but he's also a coach's son, and he'll be able to learn from Greg Popovich playing a stable situation uh, and should be able to thrive. For those that are subscribers to Fieldhouse Files, you got the little nugget in my story on uh, the first day of free agency about Doug. I thought it was hilarious. I got text a photo from a buddy of mine who lives next door to Doug's condo, I can say it now. It was right off Mass Avenue. Got a photo of like this 17-foot U-Haul that was outside Doug's <laughs> condo. I text him. I go, wow, I guess I know what's going on. And Doug playfully wrote back, yeah, my lease is up today. I, I got to move out. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you're moving out if you didn't know for sure. And considering we're hours from the start of free agency and both he and his and TJ McConnell's agents, Mark Bartlestein, they know exactly what they were doing. I can absolutely promise you that. So that was the sure thing to me that, okay, Doug's moving out. He's definitely gone, and that is the case. I'll miss my conversations with him. I know Domas will really miss him uh, with that pick and roll, pick and pop. But as we've seen in the past, that leans more on Domas, and he can do that with just about everybody. We saw it with Lance. I think we could see it with Sumner. I think we could see it with Chris Duarte. I think we could see it with more with Karis LeVert as those two finally get significant time on the court together. But wasn't that fun? 
because of Doug's threat beyond the arc. But really, I give him credit for how he was able to transform his game, and I'll have to look it up officially, but I would almost bet that he scored more points at the rim on layups and backdoor cuts than he did beyond the arc. After that, the fun story about Kiefer Sykes signing in Exhibit 10 with the Pacers. He was one of a couple players that did so. But the timing just worked out for him. It was something that had not been reported after the first few days of free agency. Oh, I should mention, by the way, uh, right after the draft, Dwayne Washington Jr. from Ohio State signing a two-way deal with the Pacers. I'm sure you're all aware of that. But just to kind of stick with the, the script and going down this list of the sequence of events, that's when that one happened. But with Kiefer Sykes, uh, that went on and reported. I thought it was hilarious. He was able to hit... The game-winning shot in the basketball tournament, which he reaped the benefits of not only winning, getting the title, that being shown and probably being watched by all NBA executives, but also his payout was 80000 All players on that team were 80000 um, And the cool thing about TBT is you can assign value. Some say coaches or, or uh, I don't know, scouts, if you will, put money into that. Um, usually you're talking about like, an agent or a player's best friend might put money into it, basically a gambler, an investment that, you know, I might throw $1,000 into the pot, and if you win, uh, I get 15000 what have you. Anyway, Kiefer's pot was 80000 and then he was able to join the Pacers uh, several days into the camp before Summer League and uh, was able to share his story. I'll be writing about him upcoming. He's a uh, undersized point guard. He's a guy that really wants to get back into the NBA. This past year, like for many of you, had been difficult, but especially on Sykes, a Midwest guy. He's from Chicago, and he has spent the majority of his professional career, really the last six, seven years, playing overseas, far away from family. And this past year, he had to do it alone. So yes, you have FaceTime and Skype and the great technology we have where you can communicate, but nothing beats being there with them and being together and he was unable to do that and kind of got sick and and tired of his situation and FaceTime and so really felt some urgency to earn a spot even more so in the NBA and be able to play back home in the United States so he really he mentioned that to his agent and really prioritized that and so the Pacers are giving him a shot he looked good in summer league Uh, the Pacers won the final three games and he had a significant part in those three games, but that roster spot's very much up in the air. The, technically, the Pacers right now do not have a free roster spot, and I'll get into that. Keelan Martin's guarantee date has not yet arrived, and so they could waive him without costing them anything and add Kiefer, another guy, or, which would be my preference, leave that roster spot empty for future possibilities. But Kiefer Sykes is a, a fun story, and he's a guy to keep an eye on. Negative side of Summer League was the absence, the notable absence of Goga Pataze. And I, my heart goes out to him and his family. As I reported a couple weeks ago, it was a personal issue. It was something he absolutely should miss time around the Pacers for. He went back home to Georgia to be with his family. But that's about as far as I want to go because something like this is news that I only feel comfortable leaving up to the individual to put out there if he or she chooses. And in Goga's case, he has not done so just yet. Hope they're all doing well and uh, look forward to him being back in the United States and with the Pacers here in the next couple of weeks. But it was just unfortunate because he was so looking forward to being in Summer League. But I know right away, a lot of people's minds went to, oh, is he being traded? You know, Miles, Domas haven't been traded and the Pacers had just drafted Isaiah Jackson. Oh, is Goga on? No, no. This is something very personal and uh, that he had to attend to. And the first year, you may remember, he was unable to get his work visa in time to play in Summer League last year. It did not happen because of the pandemic. And this year, he so badly wanted to play, but had far more important things um, to attend to. One player I thought we might see out in Vegas was Lance Stevenson. Been continuing to follow him. He's working out diligently, trying to get back in the league. And how about this tidbit that I learned I was not aware of? And that's that Lance is not drinking. He doesn't smoke. He's in great shape, some of the best shape uh, that he's ever been in. 
He's working out daily, but a couple things that go against him is one now his age, right? Drafted in 2010, 30 plus now. <laughs> He's on the other side, like myself, like Paul George. And uh, so that goes against him as well for rosters and, and executives have to decide, who do you give a roster spot to this guy, a known player who's probably at his ceiling, or do you take a chance on a younger guy? Most times they're going to go with the younger guy. Then the other side of that is Lance really hadn't played five on five significantly since he was playing in China. Lance was prepared to sign a two-year deal with the Pacers in March of 2020 before the pandemic. Never forget this. That was the last story I wrote before everything went down. Before I attended that Big Ten tournament game, IU Nebraska, then all of a sudden got that alert from the NBA. The season was postponed. Stay tuned. Well, it turns out the NBA was not allowing players that had been playing overseas in the Chinese Basketball Association and not spent any time in the league, back in the league, uh, and especially down in the bubble down in Orlando. So instead of Lance being back on the roster, and why it was necessary was Malcolm was out, so many other players were out at the end of that 2019-2020 season. They needed a healthy body. They needed a score. They needed a ball handler. And that presumably would have meant Lance was on the roster this past year as well. The Denver Nuggets experienced all kinds of COVID issues, as did the Washington Wizards for Summer League. That They even called Lance and said, hey, do you want to play in Summer League? We need some bodies, at least for a couple of games. But in my opinion, Lance made the right decision to turn him down because of what I alluded to previously. He hadn't been playing five-on-five. And so as an established player like he is, the last thing you want to do is go to Summer League and not look good, not shine, not stand out above the rest like you should. And because he hadn't played five-on-five, I think that was the right decision. Some other news. Uh, Let's go to Matt Ants. This story, in my opinion, has not nearly gotten enough attention, really any attention outside of myself. And that's the Mad Ants and what they're going to do this upcoming season. Basically, the Mad Ants are going to call Indy home. They're going to practice at the St. Vincent Center, the Pacers practice facility. They're going to play nine of their 24 home games at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. So one, that's awesome for those players. They get experience more than the NBA life, can be treated and seen by team doctors, the training staff on a daily basis. It means team executives can watch every single practice, basically, should they want to. And best of all, a player, for example, like Isaiah Jackson, could practice with the Pacers in the afternoon and then play with the Mad Ants in the evening. For the Mad Ants, it also means you're flying out of Indianapolis International instead of, I think, Fort Wayne most of the time, sometimes driving to Chicago. That's not ideal. Uh, They'll play weekend games up in Fort Wayne, but many games, nine in total here in Indianapolis. I look forward to attending most or all of them, as many as I can at least, because I think, and this goes to a different conversation, but I think the Mad Ants and the Pacers in their own right need to do a better job of marketing and telling their story and introducing these players and coaches to fans and putting them out in front. And this is one way they can connect. I've been a big proponent the last several years for the Mad Ants and Pacers to figure something out where they could, I don't know, do a doubleheader at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Now, it's not exactly perfect because you have to cater to the NBA team, meaning the Pacers. So it's not like you could play a Mad Ants at 6 o'clock and Pacers at 8.30 because – Those NBA players want to be on the court two and a half hours in advance warming up. So it'd have to be more so uh, a Mad Ants game at 1 o'clock or a Mad Ants game at 9.30 following the Pacers game. This is even better, I think. And there'll probably be ticket giveaways and a real opportunity for Indy fans, Pacer fans. And uh, it's also much easier on scouts now that I'm thinking about it too. To fly into Indy, they can cover... A Mad Ants game, slide over and watch a, a Pacers game maybe the next night. That type of thing. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's G League, but nobody else has reported on this. Um, this was a. Now let me tell you a backstory. And this is why I love podcasts because of some stuff like this that there's no use for in writing. So I got this tip uh, more than a month ago. And it was one of those that I just didn't have time for. It was one of those that was right in the middle of right before free agency and the draft. And, and all of that. So I checked back into it and, and then got tipped off. Hey, the announcement's coming tomorrow. You better jump on it. So I was headed home from Summer League the night I posted this story. 
And because I'm a Delta guy, I didn't want the direct flight on Southwest. Yes, I do crazy stuff like that. So I took a red eye from Vegas to LAX. So it was about midnight Eastern time in Indianapolis, which meant it's 9 p.m. with me in L.A. We had just landed in LAX. There was a delay. Uh, We had to be transported by bus from one terminal to another. Another reason why Indy Airport, so amazing. I can get from my place downtown to the gate at the Indy Airport in 22 minutes. That's another aside. So anyway, uh, we got held up on that bus. I had about 10 minutes. So I knocked away at my story to kind of drill this out, hoping nobody else got the story. And they didn't. I got a lot of it done on that bus, then went quickly to the Delta Sky Lounge, finished the last part of the story, hit publish, got it off via my cell phone hotspot right before I had to race to the other gate and catch my four-hour flight home from LAX. But that's how these things go down uh, a lot of times. And it's fun to be part of. There's an adrenaline rush. There's also a race to get stories out, for example. And so that's kind of how that one uh, went down. Going into Summer League, Cassius Stanley uh, was the player I was watching most closely, and that's because he had the most to prove. Yes, he was a second-round pick of the Pacers the previous year, but it was just such an unusual year for him. I wrote about him a couple times over at Fieldhouse Files, but he's going on his fourth head coach in four years, and that's never good, right? You go back to where he played at Sierra Canyon. It goes back to playing at Duke, then Nate Bjorkren, And Rick Carlisle, if he's still here, that's seemingly unlikely at this point, but he'll probably get another opportunity elsewhere. That'll be his fourth head coach in four years. And that Duke ended their season early, then he went to the G League bubble, did okay there, finished the season with the Pacers, but didn't do a ton. But again, he's a rookie, and he came out of Duke after just one year. So you have to be patient with those type of guys. I thought he did fine in Las Vegas, but did not jump out, did not take over a game or really do anything special. Where he really shined was the last game when O'Shea Brissett and Chris Duarte both sat out just for rest purposes and give other guys opportunities, but that was it. And Since then, the Pacers have altered their roster just a little bit because Rick Carlisle's still trying to figure out what he has. He's talked with everybody on the roster. He's met with many guys. There was the first game I directly remember at Thomas and Mack where Karis LeVert was there, Keelan Martin, Miles Turner, and Torrey Craig. And during the first half, Lloyd Pierce was there talking it over uh, with Karis LeVert, getting to know him well. The second half, Lloyd Pierce talked and met with Miles Turner, which was great. And beside them was Rick Carlisle, and then to his left was the general manager, Chad Buchanan. A lot of it of feeling out each other, because admittedly, Rick Carlisle and Lloyd Pierce don't know each other very well. Carlisle is the president of the Coaches Association. He's also a Hall of Fame-level coach. He's won a championship with the Dallas Mavericks. He has that instant credibility. But he did not have an extensive relationship or really any past with Lloyd Pierce. But to the core of the roster, yeah, they got to figure this out and what they want to do. There was no transformative offseason move. I did expect one starter to be dangled a little bit and for them to get something. Clearly, they didn't get an offer that was strong enough that warranted making a move. That's what the facts show us here, because otherwise you would have done that. They're banking on good health. And I wrote an update with TJ Warren and Miles Turner, how they are doing. In short, it's that Miles is nearly 100%. He's just got to find his rhythm and timing once again after being off his foot for, I think it was like four months. TJ Warren still ramping things up. He's progressed past one-on-one play just yet. I don't believe he has scrimmaged at all uh, or anything, but he is shooting, able to work one-on-o, go through drills, play one-on-one. He was working with Gennaro Pargo out in uh, Los Angeles for, I think, a couple weeks it was at the Mamba Academy. He's not 100% just yet, but it seems to be tracking that way, and it bodes well for him as he's going into the final year of his contract, and they desperately needed him last year. Played just four games. Um, Then sat out because of that foot injury. Had the same surgery, but to his different foot. It's a significant one in his foot, and those are never fun. But he just misses basketball. You saw his post on Twitter probably a couple weeks ago that something like basketball is fun or it was fun to be out there again. Yeah, that took a mental toll on him, much like it did Miles Turner. I haven't really touched on it, but Miles 
was in a dark place. He mentioned it on his, his Twitter account, and good for him over these last month or two, has invested time in himself and in getting away. And while he has stayed in shape and gotten workouts, he's zeroed in on continuing to eat well, thanks to his chef, Chef V, uh, traveling her to Vegas to all their different trips, which includes Colorado currently. And I think he went to Wyoming or North Dakota earlier. And those are actually trips I want to do sometime this summer, some other time. Uh, just to, to breathe, turn your phone off, and, and get some fresh air, get outside, hike. And I think that will do wonders for him. Uh, a guy that puts so much pressure on himself, a guy that reads every single comment that's tweeted at him. Indication I get right now is that Carlisle is excited to see what he has, to finally get his hands on with this group here at the St. Vincent Center next month and to figure it out, kind of like a scientist going to the lab, and he's unsure exactly what he might be able to create. But he's encouraged by the pieces that he has and the formula possibilities. He just doesn't know what the finished product might look like. And yeah, the roster will probably be tinkered at least a couple more times, whether it be before the season or midseason trades. We don't know that. I don't think the Pacers are going to sit on their hands. They have some overlap on positions. They have some positions of need. And as Carlisle figures out what he has, he'll have a better idea of who works, who does not, who he gets along with and areas he in particular wants to adjust because I know I've referred to this on previous podcasts and in stories is he has influence. He has far more influence than previous head coaches and he should, and he's being paid like it double what some of the previous head coaches have had. And Nate Bjorken probably three times what he has because, you know, Rick's as I reported is making, I think seven and a half was it? 29 million annually plus bonus opportunities yeah you hire him because you want to win you want to bring some structure some credibility some instant credibility I should highlight there and he's been through the ringer he's been through everything and here's the other thing I've heard from a couple of people it's that Larry Bird is involved again that he'll have some involvement to what extent do not know just yet but I thought that was a little bit telling and not that there was a package deal but Rick didn't just want to come back and be by himself is what I was told. All right, just a couple of more items on this podcast. I know it's been a longer one, a little longer than I try to go on this podcast because, as I say, you can't go and drive around Indianapolis for more than 30 minutes, so I try to keep it generally to about that 30-minute window. But over the weekend, I broke the news that the Pacers were signing Dejan Giroux to a two-way contract. Uh, he was previously with the Miami Heat in Summer League after going undrafted, had played for Kelvin Sampson, the University of Houston, a defensive guy. Surprise, surprise, right? You, you see what the Pacers have done this offseason. They've added toughness, they've added shooting, and they've added defense. And Drew is a guy that is, can be a point guard. He could be that third point guard possibility, not for certain, but it could be that way. Uh, he's a defender. He was the defensive player of the year in the AAC. He was the most outstanding player in the regional here in Indianapolis. And for what it's worth, he has big game experience. He reached the Final Four with the Houston Cougars. They lost eventually to Baylor, who won it all. But that's telling. That's important. And he was a key figure on that Houston team. What role will he play right away? That's unsure. For the Pacers to go get a target that the Miami Heat who have done fairly well and drafted well and, and organized their roster very well under Pat Riley. This is a good find. This is a good checkpoint, I think, for the Pacers. And to make this deal possible, the Pacers had to waive Amita Brima. And that was no surprise, considering the Pacers have a logjam. Again, now in their front court with bigs, I mean, there would just be no time for Amita. And, and quite honestly, they signed him to a two-way deal because they were short on bodies, especially short on bigs. Remember, there was a point in the season last year at the end of the year when all four of their bigs were out, and that's if you include Jakar Sampson because of his one-game suspension. So they desperately needed someone like Brima just in case. Uh, and we did. We even saw O'Shea Brissett, Justin Holiday, uh, for example, play the five. But I think I think it's understood that Brima will not be back mainly because there's no opportunity for him here within the Pacers organization because of their current situation. The other two-way contract, as I mentioned before, of course, is Dwayne Washington Jr. He's a guy that can really shoot the ball, was impressive in summer league in that department, fresh out of college at Ohio State, will immediately help 
the Mad Ants and be available and could certainly contribute, I think, in some ways with Rick Carlisle's system. Last thing I'll touch on is the NBA schedule being out. And my full breakdown will be at fieldhousefiles.com. I won't touch on it too much here because that's a lot, and you can really do a podcast in its own right just off that. But four preseason games, first two on the road starting October 5th, then two back at home. That'll be about the time when they should hopefully be finishing up second phase of renovations to Banker's Life Fieldhouse, which is most affecting the entry pavilion, the outside entry plaza area. They demolish that parking garage outside, not the Virginia Avenue, the one just to the north of it, not the east, as well as the middle bowl, the club level, uh, where they've updated some suites, all new seating there, much like they did to the lower level last year. And then after this upcoming season, they'll finish renovations for one more period of about six months where it'll update uh, more social gathering spots, the upper level, and complete the outdoor area. But again, back to the schedule. Opening night, the start of the Carlisle era, will come on the road. First two games on the road, starting with October 20th at Charlotte, then at the Wizards. Interesting because those are the last two teams the Pacers faced, if you remember. Uh, it also means Ronald Norad starting in his previous spot right there. Rick Carlisle, for example, makes his return to Dallas on January 29th. That'll be the last game of a torturous stretch with seven of eight on the road. But uh, the home opener at Banker's Life Fieldhouse set for August 23rd against the Miami Heat. Four of their first six come on the road. All right, I think I've been long-winded enough on this podcast, but I was not exaggerating when I said I had 20-plus bullet points and many items to get to, and several more I could, but more so there's more stories and details and how things happened uh, that I can get into in future episodes. Up next, though, We'll spend an entire episode focusing on Summer League in Vegas, and I'll share some stories there, what it was like to attend. And Sam Amick of The Athletic, a national writer, will join to talk about that as well as his feelings on the Pacers and Rick Carlisle taking over and where they might fare in the Eastern Conference. Last thing, again, I want to encourage you to become a subscriber at fieldhousefiles.com. Some of the unique items I've posted here, let's say, in the last month, that feature on T.J. McConnell's love, his passion for wine, and how he got into it. And same goes, uh, included quotes from Malcolm Brogdon and Doug McDermott uh, and his close friend who he started uh, Instagram. It's kind of a side company, but more so just a, a side account off the glass to share his passion for wine. I also went one-on-one with Pacers general manager Chad Buchanan out in Vegas. I also talked with Fred Jones, the former Pacer who was drafted by the team. He's an indie guy now. He went to Oregon and is a huge fan of Chris Duarte and, of course, watched every one of his games over the last couple of years. And also at fieldhousefiles.com, you can read my story about the Mad Ants and also how it impacts the Pacers. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>